morning, I'm Janet, if we haven't met. Uh, this morning's reading comes from the book of First Thessalonians, chapter 5. It's one sentence. <laughs> um, verses 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're a God who loves to make himself known. Thank you that you love to speak to us through your word. Lord, thank you for all you've done for us in Jesus. And I pray this morning as we have the privilege to look at your word now, please help us not only to understand it, but to be challenged and encouraged by it. And we ask that your spirit would do his powerful work in our hearts to change us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, are you good at sti sticking with things once you've started them? Are you good at finishing what you start? Now, I think I tend to go okay at that with kind of significant commitments, with long-term commitments, things that go for a longer period of time, months or even years. But I'm not necessarily that great at finishing short, small projects, particularly around the house. Uh, exhibit A is probably the fact that I always have a half-finished job or a half-unpacked box or a half-cleaned-up space, and it tends to drive my wife Talia a bit nuts. Um, I'm not too great at this, and it drives Talia nuts because she is the exact opposite. She is Captain Focus. When she has started something and it can be finished in one go or it can be finished quickly, there is no stopping her until it is done. So what about you? Are you good at sticking at things when you start them? Because today as we look at 1 Thessalonians uh, verse, chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, we're going to be thinking about three crucial Christian characteristics, and they're joy, prayer, and thankfulness. And we're going to be encouraged to persevere with each of these things. We're going to see that they need to be cultivated, they need to be pursued, they need to be fought for. We need to be relentless in rejoicing, persevering in prayer, and tireless in thanksgiving. And we'll see that it really is possible for us to live this way because our greatest joy, it's found in Jesus. We can rejoice relentlessly, persevere in prayer and be tirelessly thankful because our greatest joy is found in Christ. We can praise God, we can pray no matter what is going on in our lives because our ultimate joy is found in Jesus. So let's get stuck into it now. Uh, we'll look at each of these three verses one at a time, starting with verse 16 which commands us to be relentless in rejoicing. Relentless rejoicing. Rejoice always, it says. Now, a bit of quick context for you as we start. In this part of his letter to the church in Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul has been giving some instructions to the church about what their worship should look like when they're gathered. Now, this is fairly easy to spot from the surrounding verses if you've got your Bible open. In verses 12 to 13, you can see that Paul is spelling out what it means to respect leaders in the church, how we should treat them. And he's going to go on to talk about how we should hear and respond to prophecy in verses 20 to 22. So these commands to rejoice and pray and give thanks, they're first and foremost addressed to us together as God's people. But I think it's also fairly plain to see how they can easily be applied to almost every area of our lives. So we're going to try and do a bit of both as we go along. So what on earth does it mean to rejoice always? Because how can Paul even think of saying this? 
Because a whole bunch of the stuff going in our lives is hard. It hurts. It makes us sad. It brings us to tears. It makes us want to give up sometimes. So how, Paul, can you tell us that we should rejoice always? Now, I think this is a great question. And I think for the sake of being clear, we should think about first what it doesn't mean. I don't think it means that you should always be happy and smiley. You should always be Mr. Happy or Little Miss Sunshine. I don't think it means you should never be sad. And it certainly doesn't mean that there's no time for grief. We have the Psalms. We have the book of Job. We have many other parts of the Bible. They're full of profound expressions of grief and sorrow in times of trouble. These are right responses to the evil and pain and brokenness of our world. And I think this verse doesn't, also doesn't mean that you should just try to put on a brave face. You should feel sadness and grief, but you should bottle it all up inside and pretend that everything's okay. It's not what it means to rejoice always. So what does it mean? Well, I think it means this. As God's people, we should be characterized by joy. It's what we should be known for because our ultimate joy is found in God. As Christians, we should be known as people who are joyful. And it's because we have good news of great joy. Jesus has died for our sins. We've been forgiven. We've been adopted by God. We've been reconnected to the source of all true joy, God himself. And we have the promise of sharing in his joy forever, in eternity. So we can be relentless rejoicers. Because even life's greatest pain, even life's biggest heartbreaks, even our most profound sorrows, they can't extinguish the joy that we have because of Jesus. The pain and suffering of this world, it just can't kill our joy. I've always loved to play sports ever since I was a kid. And when I grew up, my younger brothers and I, we just loved to play cricket. And pretty much as soon as we'd get home from school in the afternoon, we'd be out in the front yard and we would just play for hours. And often, if it took a long while to get one of the other brothers out, we would just bowl until we couldn't move our arms anymore. It was fantastic. Now, these days I'm playing squash uh, mostly. That's mostly what I do for sport. And at the club where I play, you can play for 10 bucks all Saturday afternoon from 1 till 5. And this means that you can play between five and ten times on an afternoon, depending on how busy it is. Now, I don't know if you've ever played squash, but it is a ridiculously intense game. It is basically all sprints. Now, one of the guys I play with, he tracked on his Fitbit one afternoon and worked out he'd done about seven Ks worth of sprints over an afternoon. Now, you can imagine, as you're doing this, you reach points where you're just exhausted. You've had enough. The lactic acid, your legs are just burning. It hurts. It's painful to do this. But those of us who love playing, we just keep going. We love running. We love the competition. We love the game. And the enjoyment we get from playing, it's greater than the pain we have to endure to keep going. And so we keep playing because we love it. And those kinds of experiences of life that we all have, where you push through the pain for a reward that's worth it, they give us just a glimpse, I think, of how it's possible for us to find joy in God, even in the midst of our pain and suffering. We still have joy in suffering because we still have God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul gives us just this remarkable description of what this looks like. 
He's been reflecting on his own life and the terrible hardships he's had to face for following Jesus. And as he thinks about it, he describes himself in this way, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. This means that it's possible for joy and sorrow to coexist, to be mixed together. And even if we have a really hard time of life now, like Paul did, even if we lose everything in this world, just like Job did, nothing can get between us and God's incredible love for us. In Romans 8.35, Paul asks, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And his incredible answer in verse 38 is, Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So come what may, the best of times, the worst of times, and everything in between, we can be relentless in rejoicing. We can hold on to hope. We can rejoice always because God is the ultimate source of our joy. So in light of what we've seen so far, uh, here's a quick challenge for you and also, I hope, an encouragement. Firstly, I want to ask you, where is your greatest joy? What makes you tick? What makes you get out of bed in the morning and get going? Is it your career? Is it your kids? Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse? Maybe it's golf or tennis or fishing. Could be any of those things for me. Is it Netflix? Is it great food? Now, all of these are great things that we should enjoy. They're gifts from God. But have any of them taken the place of God in your life? If someone were to watch a recording of your life from the last month, would they say that you're someone who is characterized by joy, someone whose life is filled with rejoicing in God? Or would it be something else? Where is your greatest joy and treasure? Because only God himself can satisfy our deep craving for joy. So let's be relentlessly pursuing joy in him. Secondly, I'd really like to try and encourage some of you here in particular this morning. I'd really like to particularly encourage those of you who've walked through deep or terrible or prolonged suffering. And yet you're still putting your hope in Jesus. You're still finding your joy in him. You know who you are this morning. Can I say, please hear me now. Your life is an incredible testimony of God's grace. And it is a profound encouragement to God's people. If your life has been marked and marred by suffering and tragedy, and you're still following Jesus and rejoicing in him, you're my example of how to apply, apply today's sermon. You're my example of how to live this out. You have everything to teach me and everything to teach us about what it means to rejoice always. So thank you for your example, for your trust in God, for your perseverance, and for your joy. And can I encourage you, keep looking to Jesus, keep going. For one day, all your sufferings, they'll feel like they were light and momentary as you enjoy an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, Paul promises us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We can rejoice relentlessly, no matter what's happening in our life, because our greatest joy is found in Jesus. 
That's what it means to rejoice always. So let's think now about what it means to persevere in prayer. From verse 17, persevering prayer. Pray continually, it says. Or you might have something like pray without ceasing, if you've got another translation. Now, does this mean that if we were serious about putting this verse into practice, took it at face value, that we should all quit our jobs, sell our houses, maybe move to some sort of spiritual building like a monastery or a convent so that we can spend all day, every waking moment, praying? Is that what this verse is encouraging us to do? Some Christians throughout history have done that. Some Christians today still do that. But I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what this verse is calling us to do. So before you put your house on realestate.com.au, let's think about what it actually does mean. It means don't give up on prayer. Persevere. Don't get out of the habit. Stick to it. Don't quit. Don't stop praying is what Paul wants us to hear. Now, why do we need an encouragement to pray continually or pray without ceasing as God's people? Because prayer is the way that we speak to God. It grows our relationship with him. It's this profound expression of our trust and our dependence on him. So surely Christians aren't likely to quit on prayer, are we? Well, not necessarily. And I think Paul gives us this encouragement because the temptation for us to give up on prayer, it's very real. We can so quickly become self-reliant or cynical when it comes to prayer, and that's why Paul is encouraging us not to give up, to persevere with prayer, to pray continually. Um, At the start of this year, my wife and I were away for a couple of weeks, and when we'd come back from holidays, we decided we're going to be on a bit of a mission this year to be healthier. Last year was pretty busy and full-on for us at a number of points, And there were a bunch of times throughout the year when I just didn't do very well at eating well, exercising, and sleeping. And I've been trying to be good and consistent with those things for a number of years. And what I've realized from a whole bunch of trial and error is that the most important thing is actually to come up with routines or plans that I can stick with. New Year's resolutions won't cut it. I don't just need a burst of energy at the start of the year which will taper off, what I've realized is that I need an aim that I can stick with over the long haul. And to do that, I need to try and cultivate practices, habits that I can stick to. And I need to be consistent. I need to work at it. I need to persevere. That's the only way I'm going to get anywhere. And so it is with us in prayer. If we're going to grow in our relationship with God, if we're going to find our greatest joy in him, if we're going to persevere in the Christian life, then we've got to persevere in prayer. We've got to pray continually. So let's try and get pretty practical here. What can we actually do to help us be more consistent in prayer? Well, firstly, I want us to quickly think about when we're gathered together as God's people at church. I think that prayer should be central in our life as a church, central in our services. It's wonderful that we've already prayed this morning as Rosie has led us. That's what Paul has in mind. That's what he's encouraging us to do in this verse. But maybe we could do even more. I'm thinking in particular about those times, maybe before or after the church service, when you're chatting to someone, and as you get to chatting, they might share something that they're struggling with. And you might say to them, Can I be praying for you about that? I'll be praying for you this week. And then if you're anything like me, you forget and you feel bad. 
that's how that turns out. So here's an idea. The next time someone shares something, why not say, can I pray for you now? Or I will be praying for you, but can I also pray for you now? Perhaps that's just one really simple way that we could be living out what it means to pray continually when we're together. But what about the rest of the week and the rest of life? How can we be consistent and persevere in prayer? Well, I think we need to think about two things. First, we need to think about what actually stops us from praying, what gets in the way. And then once we've done that, we'll think about a few things we can try and put in place to help us start praying more. So first, what stops you praying? What things tend to get in the way for you? Maybe you've even stopped praying altogether. Here's a few, I think, of the most common things that come between us and spending time in prayer. Number one, you just get out of the habit. You used to have a prayer time set aside maybe, but you've got interrupted a bunch of times or you've missed it enough times that you've just stopped again. I just don't have time, you might say. And let's be honest, that's just self-reliance in disguise. I don't have time to ask the creator of the universe for help here because I'm so busy trying to sort out this thing. Can you hear how crazy that sounds? When we do this, our prayer life becomes casual, not continual. It gets crowded out by a long list of things to do. But you know what? It should be exactly the opposite. The more that's on our plate, the more we should run to God in prayer to seek his help and to show our trust in him. Third thing that maybe stops us from prayer, if we're honest, sometimes we just think prayer is pointless. It doesn't achieve anything. Though some of us might never admit to that out loud, functionally it's how a lot of us live. We're cynical. When prayers are answered, maybe we think, ah, it would have happened anyway. And when we don't get what we want, we think it's pointless to pray. Nothing changes. But prayer is never pointless. It connects us to the Lord of the universe. God uses prayer to change things in you, in the lives of the people around you, and in our world. God uses prayer. It's an incredible means of his grace to us. But it's still really easy for us to neglect prayer. So what is it that stops you from praying? So now let's think about a few things we can do to actually help us pray more and pray more consistently. Firstly, try and cultivate the habit of like two-second prayers. Maybe out loud, maybe in your head, it really doesn't matter. But I'm talking about the sort of stuff that you're just praying, directing your attention to God throughout the course of the day. Maybe a tough conversation is coming up at work, um, you're not quite sure how you're going to handle it, and just before you're walking into the room, you say, Lord, this is going to be tough, please help me. Or maybe you're at home and your kids are just driving you nuts and you're just in your head, Lord, please help me with, insert child's name here, they are driving me mad. Imagine how often you'd pray if you worked at cultivating that kind of habit. Just two second prayers that you just shoot up throughout the day. Second thing you might be able to do, have a time set aside each day to pray. Stick it in your calendar if that's going to help. If you have nothing at the moment, start small and simple. Start with just a few minutes. Maybe just pray for your family and whatever's on your mind for that day. Maybe open your Bible and pray based on one of the prayers from the Bible if that's going to help you, if you're not sure how you should pray. We all make time for the people we love, the relationships that we value, and it's so important that we do the same with God. 
So let's set aside at least a bit of time each day to pray. And the third thing we need to do, I think, is get back on the horse quickly. Cultivating a consistent prayer life, it takes time. You'll have dry patches. You'll have times when you forget. You might think, oh, I'm going to do that two-second prayer thing and you'll remember for a few days and then you'll forget. But as soon as you start realizing that you've stopped praying, say sorry and start again. Confess to God that you've been too busy or self-reliant and try again. It's incredible. God is gracious and forgiving. He loves to see his children make progress in following him, even if it's slower than we'd actually like it to be. So let's be people who are characterized by prayer. Let's be people who pray continually. Let's finish up now by looking at verse 18. It shows us that we should be characterized by tireless thankfulness. Tireless thankfulness. Let's read verse 18 again together. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now this command, it's closely connected to the previous two. I think they actually work a little bit like a chain. If you're finding a joy in God, then a life of prayer will be an expression of that. And if you're full of joy in God and you're praying, you'll be thankful as well. One comes after the other. Thankfulness should permeate our lives, Paul is saying. That's what it means to give thanks in all circumstances. Now again, it's important for us to think about what he's not saying here. I don't think he's saying that we should be thankful for every single thing that happens. Like, thank you, Lord, that my house burnt down. Or I'm so thankful that I've just been diagnosed with cancer. Or I've lost a loved one. No, those would be really wrong, really messed up responses. We shouldn't be happy about or thankful for things that are broken and destructive and evil in our world. Things shouldn't be that way. And I don't think this verse is even commanding us to try and find the good things in bad situations or always look on the bright side, like Pollyanna would do. Do you know the story of Pollyanna? Uh, Pollyanna is quite a famous novel from the early 20th century by Eleanor H. Porter. And it's been turned to movies as well, which you might have seen. Now, Pollyanna, she's an orphan. And when she's an orphan, she has to go and live with her aunt, who, to be honest, is a pretty unpleasant person. And she makes life really tough for Pollyanna. But Pollyanna has got this kind of infectious, bubbly, and cheery personality. And what she decides she's going to do, the way she's going to cope with the tough stuff going in her life, is to play something that she calls the glad game. And this game consists in trying to find something to be glad about, no matter how bleak things look. And this is how she tries to live her life. She's always going around trying to find something to be glad about. Now, does giving thanks in all circumstances equal playing the glad game? Should we try and be more like Pollyanna? Should we always be looking for something to be happy about? Is that what it means? Well, I don't think so. And I think the key to understanding this verse is once again to realize it's Godward focus, which we see in the second half of the verse. We are to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And I think that's the key. We can give thanks because of Jesus. We can give thanks because we're united to him. 
We can give thanks because he's given us eternal hope. We can give thanks that we have him, even if everything else we know and love falls apart. In Jesus, we have the greatest treasure in the universe. We have a treasure we cannot lose. He's the reason why we can rejoice. Jesus is the reason we can pray. He's the reason we can be thankful, come what may. And that's why Paul sums up all these things we've been thinking about as God's will for our lives. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God wants us to rejoice and pray and be thankful no matter what is going on because he wants us to find our greatest treasure in him. And of course, we should be thankful for the material things and the good gifts that God gives us as well. If we treasure Jesus more than anything, I think thankfulness will kind of just overflow from our lives and our mouths like a water flows over a waterfall. It really is possible to give thanks to God in any situation, Paul says. And no doubt sometimes that'll actually be tough. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, if we keep an eternal perspective, then we can rejoice relentlessly and persevere in prayer and be tirelessly thankful because our greatest joy, it's found in Jesus. So as we finish up, let's take one final moment to reflect on this verse. And to me, it seemed like a bit of an obvious but also a bit of a scary question to ask at this point is, are you a bit of a whinger? Is your life characterized by complaining? Unfortunately, Aussie culture tends to encourage whinging. We, we like to have a good go at it. And if I'm honest, I'm sorry to say, my life is. And I don't think that reflects well on the state of my heart. And often my worst whinging and complaining, I find, it's reserved for the most petty, the smallest of things. Something not getting done quite the way I'd like to. Someone holding me up for a few minutes. Wishing I had more stuff. I've got too much stuff. Or less things on my to-do list. I could go on and on. Things to whinge about. I've got a long way to go before I'm giving thanks in all circumstances, before I'm living this verse out the way I should. How about you? And here's the key thing I'm taking away here. Here's my diagnosis of my whinging and complaining problem. It really boils down to just one thing which is that I love Jesus too little. I don't remember Jesus and his grace to me often enough. My life is too Joel-focused and not enough Jesus-focused. I know, need to know and love Jesus more. That's all it boils down to. And you know, I am so grateful that Jesus' love for me isn't like my love for him. My love for him, it's hot and cold, it's up and down, it's a bit all over the shop sometimes. But our comfort and our hope is that Jesus' love for us is not like that. His love never fails. His grace is always free. His forgiveness is always complete. His love for us never fails. That's our hope to change. That's our hope to live these things out. And that's our reason to rejoice always, to pray continually, and to give thanks in all circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue to look to you, would you continue to change us by your Spirit? Lord, please remind us each and every day 
as many times as we need to see it, just how great Jesus is and all he's done for us in the gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.